right, take your Bibles this morning and, and turn once more to the book of Exodus, chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. We're going to continue our series this morning through the law of God, the Ten Commandments, and we've been in it quite some time, uh, first looking at some of the background and, and how we should think about the law of God as, as God's people and then going through each of these commandments. Uh, we're going to read verse number 15 this morning, Exodus 20 and verse 15, uh, a very short verse, you shall not steal, you shall not steal. I heard somebody this week ask a question, and I, I thought that was a good way to, to introduce things this morning. First of all, have you ever had anything stolen from you? Have you ever had anything stolen from you? I know throughout my life there have been different things that were stolen from me, uh, particularly when we lived in, in Louisville. We kind of lived in a sort of high crime area uh, of Louisville, not quite like Hancock County, and uh, it, it was kind of commonplace for us throughout our years there to have things stolen from us. We, we really had to be uh, very careful. We had everything from lawnmower stolen to, to even a vehicle that was stolen from us at, at one point. And that's always weird when you wake up in the morning and you go out and the, the car's not there. Uh, that's always a, a strange experience to have. Uh, so we really had to go to extreme measures to try to lock everything down and make sure it was uh, secure. But uh, even with that, sometimes people saw something they wanted, they come back with bolt cutters, right? And uh, so that, that happened a couple times. One time, I'll, I'll never forget it, we were driving home, had all the kids in the van, and uh, we had sort of an alleyway on the side of our house, so uh, actually two alleys, there's one in the back, one down the side of the house, and we're, we're coming down the side alley, and this guy comes with a stolen shopping cart, and in the stolen shopping cart was the chair off of our front porch. We had like an iron rocking chair, and he's just pushing it down the alley. And I looked at, looked at him, he crossed right in front of us. I had to stop and wait for him. And I said, Bonnie, I think that's our rocking chair. I wasn't totally sure. Uh, so I didn't want to accuse him, and I had all the kids with me too. So I, I pulled around real quick to the front and parked, and yeah, our, our chair was gone. And so I helped get the kids in real quick and tried to go chasing after him. I, I didn't find it, uh, but that, that was a, a strange experience. Uh, one time I was uh, thought, you know, here, I'll, I'll get back at him. So we, we had a lawnmower that was just a cheap little, we had a small yard, and, and one of the boys was mowing, and they had hit a pole or something in, in the ground, had bent the shaft, and it wasn't worth repairing. And I thought, I'm going to have to take that to the dump, and I'll have to make a trip and go pay to, to dump that. Now i got an idea. I'm just going to leave this outside, and somebody's going to come and get it. And sure enough, left it outside, went wherever we were going, came back, it was gone. And, and I got a little bit of a a guilty sense of, of pleasure out of just knowing that they're going to try to start this up, and that thing would shake. I mean, when it would start, but it would shake and smoke, and, and, and I thought that was great. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I laughed about it, but the truth of the matter is, and if you've ever had anything stolen from you, you know this is the case, it, it really brings about a lot of anger in, in your heart. You know, first of all, there, there's just the reality of the fact that you've worked hard for something. You work hard to have the things that you have, and you, you often place a value and a significance on them that other people don't value. I, I know when our car was stolen, somebody took it for a joyride. They took it. It was an older car, and, and they just took it down the road, and they had driven it and wrecked it and just left it there. No value to them 
uh, they didn't care about it. One time somebody had gotten into our car. I think we forgot to uh, lock it. And I didn't ever leave anything important in there, but I did have this visor with all my CDs, if you remember uh, back when you used to have CDs. And, uh, you know, they took that. They got in the car and they took that. And fortunately, I went down the road and you just saw them. They started just leaving a trail of, of CDs. So I guess in the area that we lived, uh, George, George Strait was not very popular. You know, they didn't really want the latest, greatest, straightest uh, of, of George Strait. So uh, they, they didn't value it, though, and, and, and yet it has significance to you. But there's something more important than that. And the reason I think that we're angry is that the fact that we clearly know that we have been sinned against. There was something wrong that has happened. There's something unjust. It, it's not right. And, and I think what that points to is, is the fact that God's law has been written on our heart. We talked about how these Ten Commandments are part of the universal moral law of God, this code uh, that has been stamped upon the human heart. And, and when someone steals from you, when they take something from you, you just inherently know this is not right. Something unjust has happened. When you look at society, society knows that this is not right. Most societies throughout uh, history have had some kind of code or some kind of law uh, that banned stealing. We know it's wrong, and yet it is such a common occurrence, isn't it? Think about all the measures that you take in your life to protect you from, from stealing. We have security cameras. We have security alarms on our homes and cars sometimes. We, of course, we lock everything down. We have passwords on our accounts, passwords on your phone and on your computers. Companies spend millions of dollars on fraud protection. Stores have security guards. Some people pay even for, for protection against identity theft. That's a big deal now. And, uh, of course, Walmart has those annoying cameras. And every aisle you walk down, they start to ding. I was in there one day, and I just thought, I, it sounded like the ding on my phone. And I, I kept walking down the aisles. I had no idea. And, and it just kept dinging. I kept looking at my phone. No, it's not it. But, but you look up, and you're on camera, right? They, they have those cameras there. And they're not doing that just because they're paranoid, right? They're doing that. And we take all of these measures because people will rob you blind. They will, they will take from you. It is such a common occurrence. Have you ever had anything stolen from you? But have you ever stolen anything? You know, the interesting thing, uh, oftentimes I'll, when I meet with somebody and we're talking about the gospel, one of the things that I'll do in, in trying to demonstrate that we're sinners is, is go through some of the Ten Commandments. And people will confess to all kinds of things. They'll confess to lying and, and other things that are, are sins. But you know one of the strange things? No one has ever taken anything in their entire life. You know, have you ever stolen anything? No way, I would never do that. And, and yet, we, we see it all around us. And here's, the, here's what I think. The, the truth is, if we honestly stop and think about all the forms of theft, we, we're probably far more guilty of breaking this command than we would ever even realize, or, or certainly than we would care to admit. So what is theft? What are we talking about when we talk about theft? Well, I've, I've come up with a definition. It's in your bulletin, on the back of your bulletin. You could look at it. Uh, it is, I, I said, depriving a person or entity of anything which rightfully belongs to them, either by a positive act of taking through force or deception or by a passive act of withholding what is due. So there's a lot there, uh, but first of all, it's depriving, and I, depriving them of, 
of their property, a person or entity. And I use that word depriving because I think it, it helps highlight. Sometimes if we say it's taking something, that doesn't emphasize the fact that somebody's left without what belonged to them. But when we take something, uh, we, we are leaving them or depriving them of what rightfully belongs to them. And it could be a person or an entity. Just because it's a company or a corporation or the government uh, doesn't mean that you can't steal from them. And it's what rightfully belongs to them you see theft is built on an assumption and that assumption is that God sees that that we as individuals have the right to possess and to own certain things God God recognizes personal property rights and then as, as we kind of think fuller about that then we see that there are positive acts they're, they're you know actually using force or deception to go and take something from somebody or there's just simply the passive act of withholding what is due. And sometimes we don't think about that as much. Uh, it doesn't seem as wrong to us, but it is just as wrong. If we owe someone something and we don't give it, give it to them, uh, then that is theft, and it's a breaking of this command. And we need to understand this morning that there are no excuses that make theft permissible. There, there, are, there are no excuses. It doesn't have to be a big item. It doesn't have to be expensive or all that important to make it theft. The, the size or importance or value of a thing doesn't change the morality of it. Right is right and wrong is wrong. It doesn't have to be owned by an individual. As I mentioned earlier, it, it can be a, a, an entity or a corporation. And yet, if we take something that doesn't belong to us, it's still wrong. It's still theft. It doesn't have to be regularly used to be theft. Sometimes we look at things and well, they're not using it. It's going to sit there and it's going to go bad. Nothing, nobody's going to use it. It's going to be thrown away. So it's really not that big of a deal if I take it. Yes, it, it is still theft. That doesn't make it permissible. It doesn't have to be tangible or physical property to make it theft. The fact is that, that the fact that you can't see it or, or touch it doesn't make it right. You can steal an idea a thought, you can take credit for something you didn't do, you can steal time, you can steal information, and there's all kinds of digital things now, digital property, that you can take as well. And it doesn't matter either if it meets a leg legitimate need. Uh, we, we understand, and I think it would be hard for us to, to find anyone blameworthy if a, a hungry person stole food, but the reality is that doesn't make it right. And I think sometimes, maybe instead of trying to to compromise God's moral law, maybe we should be more generous if we're concerned about the poor, but that does not make it okay. And it doesn't matter that it's been lost or, or carelessly left behind, it's still theft. You, you ought to make every effort to return lost property to someone. And, and we can all see the, the, the fact that that's true by the fact that many of us have lost something and, and sometimes somebody returns it and how happy you are that somebody actually turned your wallet in. Or, hey, we found this phone and they return it. What a blessing that is. I know we were out in South Dakota. And we were swimming in this, this stream. And it was really cool. And we were kind of, we had these goggles on. We were diving down. And, and there was kind of a small cliff people were jumping off. And people had lost different things. Sunglasses and, and different things. And, and I found an uh, Apple Watch that was underwater, and it hadn't been lost that long ago, but because but, it was still working. We charged it up, it was still working. I thought, all right, I got a free Apple Watch, 
And then it came on, and it was like, oh, wait a minute, this guy's information is on here. So now I felt, and, and I did, I, I reached out to the guy and mailed it to him, and he was so happy to have that back. Just because it's been lost or carelessly left behind doesn't make it excusable. And it doesn't matter how young you are either. Uh, this is sometimes a sin, I think, that children are particularly tempted to. Young people, the fact that you are underage and, and that things uh, may, you may be taking and maybe seem rather insignificant doesn't make it okay for you to sin against God. If you children profess to be a Christian, that means you are a new person and you should not take things that don't belong to you. It doesn't matter if it's a pen. It doesn't matter if it's a couple dollars that your mom left on the counter. If it's not yours, it's wrong to take it. The, re the reality is, secondly, we see that there are many forms of theft. There are many different kinds of, of theft, and, and they're all prohibited. We, we tend to think about the most egregious ones, and we think, okay, I'm, I'm not guilty of ever stealing anything. And I think that's why uh, when I ask people this question, they're like, yeah, check that one off. I've never stolen anything. But, but it's simply because we think about the most egregious things. Uh, we think about taking a gun and going into a bank and robbing something or, or uh, you know, being involved in some kind of deceptive scheme to swindle people out of money. And, and perhaps many of us have never been involved in those sorts of things. And yet there are all kinds of other ways that we take things that do not belong to us. Let's think about it more carefully. Think about just related to work. There, there are all kinds of ways that we may be tempted to take things that don't belong to us or steal in, in, in the area of our workplace. There, there's first of all stealing time at work. Uh, Proverbs or Colossians 3.23 says, bond servants, you uh, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service. And so if we're at work and we're, we're just simply working when somebody's watching us and, and when we're going to kind of be held accountable, but then we're wasting time at, at other times, that's a form of stealing. The, the problem is, and, and we understand some, some jobs have downtime and that's understood and that's allowed for. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about when there's work to be done, the expectation is that you would be working and instead you're on your phone or you're on the computer, you're, you're blowing time, you're wasting time. You know, a, a survey, uh, one survey I saw said that employees admitted to wasting as much as three hours out of every eight hour work period. And, and the things included socializing, just talking, just spacing out, not just being zoned out. And, and then of course, spending time on your phone or on the computer surfing the web, things like Facebook, shopping on Amazon, watching videos on YouTube. Fantasy football was a huge one that people wasted time picking their teams and seeing what was going on with that. And, and all, ironically, one of the things that a lot of people admitted to was actually looking for another job. So imagine this, you're at work and they're paying you to do a job. You're not doing the job, you're actually spending your time looking for another job. Look, you know, trying to fix up your LinkedIn profile or, or whatever it is. And, and listen, just because you can get away with it, and clearly maybe some of you have been getting away with it, it doesn't make it right. You know, sometimes we, we think of sin like this only in terms of what would get us legally in trouble. Right, you know, I'm going to get arrested or something that really has a strong sense of guilt attached to it. But, but listen, just because you can get away with it doesn't make it right. And some of you 
and, and, and we could be thankful for that. Some of you work for unions that give you certain protections, and, and, and some of that's a good thing. Uh, but listen, if you're a lazy dog, and you're depending on the union to keep your job safe, even though you're not doing the work that you are, are supposed to be doing, that is wrong, right? You ought to be working. There's also just doing poor work. They're paying you to do a job, and you're doing it ineffectively. You're not providing them with the goods that they have uh, assumed that you would be giving. And, and listen, excuses don't mitigate, again, excuses don't mitigate this sin. You say, well, they're not paying me enough to do this job. Well, then be honest enough to say, I'm not getting paid enough, and I think I'm going to quit and look for another job instead of continuing to take pay and, and not do the job that you've been paid to do. And then there's just flat-out stealing, taking parts or other things from your workplace. Workplace theft is a major issue in this country, and millions and millions of dollars are lost by employers every year through workplace theft. I remember I used to work at a grocery store. I was 15 or 16 years old, and you just saw it right away. People were there. They're stocking the shelves. Hey, I, I kind of want something for lunch. Oops, this one's damaged. You know, I'll go put it, and, and they take it and, and eat it. They didn't pay for it, right? Uh, and that kind of thing happens all the time. And, and listen, I know in many of the factories that perhaps you worked in and, and other places, there, there's a lot of waste, isn't there? There are things that don't get used. There are things that go to waste. And, and, and it can be tempting to think, well, since it's being wasted, there's nothing wrong with me taking it. But that does not make it Okay, it's wrong whether you're talking about a pen from the office or food in a restaurant or something more expensive like mechanical parts. It's wrong to take it if it doesn't belong to you. I love the clarity of God's law. It's just so clear. There, there's no exceptions here. There's, there, there's no way to weasel your way around this, right? It's wrong to take it if it doesn't belong to you. And then there are fraudulent claims, exaggerating your injury so that you can be compensated for it or Claiming that you drove miles that you didn't drive or worked hours that you didn't work. And then on the other side of it, there, there are employers, right? If you're an employer or if you're someone who hires people and, and, and to do a job, then you have a responsibility to pay them for the work that they do. You, you shouldn't try to cheat people out of what you owe to them. So if they do the job, you should pay them and you should pay them a fair wage. We need to be careful about not trying to find, uh, you know, it's not, not wrong, I guess, to, to try to find a good deal, uh, but there's certainly a line that we can cross over uh, where, where we go beyond just trying to find a good deal and try not to pay someone a fair wage to do the job. Then people try to come up with bogus reasons why they won't pay. You know, I'm not sure that that was exactly perfect or what, whatever. Uh, listen, if you owe it, if, if someone's done the work, you should pay what you owe. James 5, 4 says, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Scripture is, says so much about oppressing and, and withholding wages, uh, and we need to hear that word. In addition, there are things like digital theft. There's all kinds of, of, of things that are taken online. Uh, now that we are, live in a digital age, 
There's taking credit for something that you didn't do. There's plagiarism. If you're a student here and, and, and you're producing work, you're turning in work that you didn't actually do, someone else did the work, whether you're cheating or turning in a, a paper that someone else wrote, that is a form of stealing. There's trying to get something for less or something for nothing in, in dishonest ways. And, and then in the whole realm of, of business, like if you're in sales, just being honest about the product, being honest about what a person's going to get, being honest about what all the fees are gonna, that are going to come along with those. Uh, if you're a Christian in sales, that should speak to the way that you go about your job. This commandment would have you do it perhaps differently than the world would have you do it. But, but it isn't about what's common in your profession. It's about what God's standard is for you as a Christian. Then there's receiving benefits of what others have stolen. Many of us would maybe never, never take anything. We, we wouldn't do that. But then we're looking for that good deal and we find something that, that maybe has been stolen and we're willing to purchase stolen property. That's, that's aiding and assisting in, in this sin. And then we could just think about the spirit of this command that is broken by greed. Jesus taught that all of the, the laws have sort of external expressions to them, but then they have heart attitudes that go along with them. And our greed, our desire for more and more, and we're going to look at that in the coming weeks when we talk about covetousness, but, but our greed is actually a breaking of the spirit of this command. There's many other things that, that we could look at. And when we stop and really reflect on all the ways uh, that we are able to break this command, the reality of it is that many of us are probably more guilty of breaking this command than we would care to admit. But thirdly, we want to see this morning that there are positive imp implications in this pro prohibition against theft. There are positive implications. Remember, with each of these commands, there's something that is pro pro prohibited. Uh, there's sort of a negative, don't do this. But, but we've pointed out and we've highlighted that with that negative also comes, if we're not to do this, then there are positive attitudes. There are things on this side that we are to do. There, there's a positive that goes along with the negative. Let me give you five sort of positive attitudes that, that, that should sort of take the place of uh, this desire to take what does not belong to us. The first is this, and Jared read this earlier from Ephesians 4.28, we should be diligent in our work. We should be diligent in our work. Look to Ephesians 4.28. It says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. Do you see how in the Christian life, uh, and what Paul is dealing with in Ephesians 4 is he's saying, hey, there's these sins here and you need to put those sins off. And many of us recognize that I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't lie. I shouldn't steal. But that's not the end of the, the change process for the Christian life. When we put things off, when we lay sin aside, there are things that we are to put in its place. It's a, it's a total transformation. I love this, this passage because it's a complete 180. And that's what repentance does. Repentance doesn't just take you back to square one and say, okay, you're now at zero here. No, there's a positive behavior or a positive attitude that is put in the place of that sin. And the first thing that we see here from the Apostle Paul is, not only should we get rid of stealing, let the thief no longer steal, 
but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. You know, so often theft really is an attempt to short circuit the work process, right? That's the way life, God intended life to work. You work for it, you receive what you've worked for, right? That's, that's the, what's built into the fabric of our, of, of our universe, right? And, and, and the thief is a person who's saying, I want the stuff, I want these things, but, but I don't want to do the work that would produce those things. I, I want to short circuit that process. Yeah, working hard and saving up money and going and buying a car, that, that would be all too hard. Let me just steal a car, right? Let me just short circuit that process. And Paul says, no, 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 don't steal. Let the thief no longer steal, but instead let him labor by doing honest work, not a scheme, not, not a get quick, get rich quick. I always struggle with that. Uh, not, a, not a get rich quick scheme, uh, but, but hard work that actually produces something and, and that you can benefit from. Let him labor by doing honest work and do it with your own hands. The thief is someone who's trying to get something uh, that his hands didn't labor for. And Paul's saying, you need to do honest work and work with your own hands. Eat the fruit of your own labor. And so we should be diligent in our work. Secondly, we should be generous with our possessions. Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 4.28, let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. This is that 180 that I'm talking about. This is totally, totally opposite. Before, I'm trying to get what you have, but when Christ comes into your heart, he changes you. Now, I, now I'm laboring, and now I'm working, and I'm not trying to take from you. I, I've worked and labored, and I have something to give to you. It's a complete transformation. This is what repentance look like, looks like. I, I don't merely stop what is wrong, but I do the opposite. In this case, rather than stealing from others so I don't have to work for it, I labor for my possessions, and then God gives me a spirit of generosity to give to others. We should be generous with our possessions. Thirdly, we should be content with our lot. We should be content with our lot. First Timothy 6, verse 6 is, through eight says, but godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. What is the sin at the heart of stealing? What, what is the sin at the heart of theft? Well, really, one of them is is discontentment. I'm not happy with with what I have. I want something else. I want more. I want something that does not belong to me. And if we're going to fight that urge, that tendency to want to take something that doesn't belong to us, it's got to start in our heart like overcoming all sin does. And one of the first things that we have to do is come to a place of true contentment. I am content with what God has given me. God is the sovereign of the universe and I have the things that I have because God has determined for me to have these things. God has given me this lot in life. He has given me the possessions that I have and I'm going to be content with what God has given me. Do you trust that what God has given you is what he wants for you? Right? Like that's the heart of contentment. God knows me. He's my loving heavenly father and he has given me what I need. And that leads to our fourth point. We should trust our Father. We should trust our Father. 
We should trust that God will give us what we need. Matthew 6, verse 31 says, Don't be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what, what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Do you trust that God knows what you actually need? The, the, the reality is sometimes we think we need things that we don't need. And God is saying, no, you, you, you don't need that. But, but at the heart of overcoming this sin or the temptation of this is contentment. And at the heart of contentment is trusting that I have a loving Heavenly Father who said, this is what you need in life. I've given to you everything and, and I will supply all your needs. I will give you everything that you need. Theft is a failure to believe that God will provide for your needs. And, and listen, you may have never stole, stolen anything, but if you're cultivating an attitude of discontentment, you're, you're just making the ground fertile for that kind of sin because that, that's where it comes from. I don't have what I need. God isn't meeting my need. He's not giving me the things that, that supplied for me, and so I might as well go get it for myself. If we want to battle against that, then we need to trust in our Heavenly Father. Fifthly, we should love our neighbor. We should love our neighbor. You know, when we look at these commandments, and one of the things that we talked about in our introductory part of this is how love is the fulfillment of the law. Love is the fulfillment of the law. And so it is true of, of this commandment not to steal. L look at Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Romans 13, 8, it says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. What's he talking about there? If you love someone, then that's enough. You, you can do whatever you want. No, he's saying if, if you love someone, you will actually do what the law commands. Because he says, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. If you love your neighbor, you will not steal from them. If you love your neighbor, you will not harm them. And so we need to adopt a spirit of love. If we're, again, going to look at the positive attitudes that are assumed from, from this command, this is one of them. We need to have a heart of love that would not take from our neighbor. We don't want to do harm to those who are around us. If we are people who are imp impacted by the love of God, then we increasingly become people who are looking out for the needs and desires of others instead of looking out for our own. We're not looking at what can I get from you? What can I take from you to better myself? We're looking at them with a heart of love that says, what can I do to help better you? That's what love does. Sin says, what's yours is mine. That's what, that's what being a thief does, right? What's yours is mine. Simple morality says what's mine is mine and what's yours is yours and we're going to keep it that way. But love says what's mine is yours. It's a heart of love for our neighbor. If you love your neighbor as you love yourself, then you could never take from them because you would never want someone, something taken from you. As we come to a close this morning, I was struck by a passage uh, from the book of Malachi that asked the simple question, will a man rob God? Will, will a person rob God? 
And, and all of this that we've been discussing so far this morning, we've been talking about taking things from other people. Uh, but that question really stands out to us, doesn't it? To the, the idea of thinking about taking something from God. What, what, what an amazing thing to think about. What, what an astounding thought to think that we could even take something from God. But the reality is it, it is true. In that context, he, he's talking about the Old Testament people who were not giving as, as God had called them to do. God had instituted the, the system of tithing and, and different things, and, and they were holding back what they were supposed to be giving to God. Uh, but the reality is that that really has a broader application than even just giving. Like I think that there's still an application for that today, but, but it's even broader than that. We, we said that theft was when we deprive someone of that which belongs to them or is due to them. And if you stop and think about that, in, in that sense, we have all robbed God in many and various ways. Do you understand this morning that everything that you have belongs to the Lord? Many of us have taken our lives and possessions and we've used them without question about who they belong to, as if we had exclusive rights. This is mine. I'm going to take it and I'm going to do whatever I want to do with it. I, I have the rights to it. But the reality is that's not true. You belong to the Lord. If you were driving home this afternoon and you found a bag on the side of the road with $10 million in it, what would you do? You, you might be tempted to take that and, and start putting it to use, to, to spend it as if it belonged to you. But let me caution you, if you did that, that may not be the, the wisest thing for you to do because you would be putting yourself in danger of legal trouble. $10 million doesn't go missing without someone coming to look for it. And, and eventually the owner would show up and, and you would be uh, called to give an account of why you thought it was okay to take that $10 million and to begin acting as if it belonged to you and spending it. The reality is you, you could very likely be required to pay restitution for what you did spend of that money. And that's the way you need to think about your life. You've been entrusted with a lot of things, your very life and all of your possessions, houses and cars and lands and money and family and gifts and talent. And none of those things ultimately belongs to you. It all belongs to the Lord. That, that's the reality of it. Your life and everything that you have belongs to the Lord. And... and uh, we, we take those things and we've, we've lived as if we could do whatever we wanted to, right? When you did that, you need to understand that passage in Malachi would speak to that. He, he's saying, will a man rob God? And all of us are guilty of robbing God in that sense. Will a man rob God? Yes, all of us are guilty of, of robbing God. And we owe him a great debt. You owe God a great debt. There's, there's restitution that needs to be made, and it's something worth far more than even $10 million, as much as that sounds like. There's something worth far greater than that. Here's the amazing thing for us to think about this morning. In the gospel, though God was the one who had been robbed in a sense, we were the ones who had taken from God, God is the one who was willing to pay the restitution price. And that's the only hope that we have. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says this, 
For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. You see, you owed God a great debt because you had sinned against him. You had taken your life and you'd run away from God and you say, this is my life, I'm going to do what I want to do. Although God owns you and you have an obligation to do what he has called you to do, that is what sin is. You owed a great debt to God because of that. And rather than make you pay that debt, he gave his only begotten son to die in your place, to pay the price that you owed for your sin. If you'll repent of your sin this morning and put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you will trust in him this morning, you can be forgiven. The restitution price will be paid for you and and you can be in right standing with the Lord. And that's what I would encourage you to do this morning. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you and we ask, Lord, that if there is one here who does not know you, if there's one who has taken his life or her life and, and has lived as if they were free to do whatever they want and, and, and they have never found forgiveness through Jesus Christ, I pray that you would open their heart to the gospel this morning. I, I pray that they would feel the weight uh, of their sin upon them. I, I, feel that, I pray that they would see their, their need for this price to be paid. And I pray that you would open their heart to look to Christ and to trust in him completely. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.